Hi, I'm Jamie Winkup. Hi, I'm Dick Johnson. Hi, I'm Garth Tanner. You're listening to the V8 Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Revell. Richards goes to Triple Eight. David Wall to DJR. And we find out more about young gun Tim Slade. I guess as a young guy, all you want to do is concentrate on everything on track, but um, you know, you've, you've got commitments outside of the car to fulfil as well, which is the hard thing to, to get through your head. It's all coming up today as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. Take in the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, this is Will Davison from the Pepsi Max crew for Performance Racing, and you are listening to the V8 Insiders. First up, here's the news. This week, V8 Supercars unveiled their new television deal, announcing the series will be shown live on the 10 Networks free-to-air and Speed TV on Foxtel for six seasons. The deal signs all the digital and media rights for a massive $241 million, the breakup being $196 million in cash and $45 million in advertising, with the deal commencing in 2015 and ends following the 2020 season. Next week on the show, we'll look at the deal in far more depth. Stephen Richards will continue his endurance driving career in 2014, being confirmed as a new partner of Craig Lowndes at Triple Eight Racing. The announcement being made just days after the team let go Warren Luff in a bid to regain the Peter Brock Trophy. FPR have announced that they will be returning to the Dunlop series next year with Cameron Waters. The team last ran a car in the series in 2012 for Chaz Mostert, who will be driving for FPR alongside Frosty Winterbottom next season. The team believes Waters could be the next Mostert and are keen to have him develop his skills alongside the main game drivers. The announcement that David Wall is moving from BJR to DJR will come as little surprise to many. Wall has had a long-time association with Wilson Security, the major sponsor of Dick Johnson Racing, in 2014. Wall told the V8 Insiders what he thought about his 2013. I feel I'm driving better than I I definitely did in the first year. Um, Definitely our qualifying pace has been a lot better. Um, We've just been caught up in a lot of stuff this year that uh, hasn't been our own fault. Or, uh, you know, everyone talks about luck. There's, you definitely make your own luck, but we definitely haven't had that other element that goes with it. So it's been a bit disappointing. We had that this weekend. We had a fuel problem yesterday. We had to you know, pit out of sync, and it uh, probably cost us a, a, maybe a, a top 10 or just out of it. And uh, today, the same. You know, we we uh, made a call to pit, and uh, unfortunately, it was a little early. So put us down a lap and put us out of the race. Now, you're a busy man. Are you having any sort of break between now and... February? Um, I've got twins on the way so uh, we're not doing much actually Uh, so I'm looking forward to getting home seeing the wife and uh, seeing my son who just turned three this week so um, next week won't be doing much 
We've uh, you know run a, a workshop, we run war racing as well, so we've got a little bit on there till uh, till the 20th till we close down. Um, but um, you know, looking forward to that sort of stuff. You don't have to think too much about that, and just um, you know relax into Christmas and uh, get ready for the new year. Dick Johnson Racing have also secured a second major backer with Pace Consolidated joining the team alongside Wilson Security in 2014. Volvo have debuted the Polestar S60, albeit for aero testing at the RAAF East Sale Base in Victoria. The car ran an existing Holden engine under the control of the team's test driver, Greg Ritter. The test was hampered by strong winds which affected the data collection process, but the team were happy with the performance of the car on its first official outing. Martin Person, the Global Motorsport Technical Director, and Alexander Macheski, who were in Sydney at the Sydney 500, were not on hand for the test. But when we caught up with them, they told the V8 Insiders what they liked most about their new engine. Every time you come to a race, you know it could be over and you could be looking really bad in the first corner, regardless if you blow an engine or your driver goes off or everything, and that's the part of the challenge. I think the key is to be confident, um, and believe in what you're trying to achieve. Obviously, if you know from experience, you have been able to do a good job in the past, that gives you additional confidence. We did a very good job making a global race engine for the WTCC. We also delivered on uh, very good on friction, uh, combating temperature, a compact high output out of a small engine with a new drive family. So we had a lot of things coming together in a way that gave us confidence that, uh, yeah, we're gonna give these our competitors something to you know bite in. <laughs> so yeah, and, uh, I, I mean the looks of it. Uh, I'm uh, very weak for V8 uh, engines. I love those engines, so uh, I think it's uh, a piece of art more or less when you look at it. Alex Prema has not yet been confirmed as the second factory driver. Neither has the team locked in a major sponsor with the departure of Fujitsu at the end of the year. Maro Enkel's future is in doubt, with Erebus expected soon to announce that they will sign Will Davison, and the team dropping from three cars to two next season. Dave Stewart talked about the decision to move back to a two-car operation. We know uh, what work we need to do. We've got that well planned. Uh, cutting back to, to two cars gives us plenty of spares uh, and plenty of components. Uh, as well as some spare chassis, so it'll be, uh, I think, a, a good thing in the long run uh, for the team. Um, we've got a new driver coming on for next year, and I think we'll have a really solid team uh, between Lee uh, staying on and, and, the, and, and our new driver. Looking forward to it. And does it mean, with that reduction, the guys get a good break, unlike when you're just hammering to build cars and, and just trying to get everything ready in such a short period of time? To, do now everyone gets to have two weeks, three weeks to recharge, or Fair Supercars just does not allow that at all anymore? Uh, look, uh, the, the schedule is tight. You know, we're, we're uh, probably just over two months away from the first test day of the year for 2014. However, having said that, this year, we, uh, this Christmas, we are having a break. Um, everybody worked right through uh, last summer, and uh, I think you know, everybody in the team deserves a, a good break, and that's what we're going to have this year. Roland Dane said he made a mistake employing Adrian Burgess, who will next year take over Steve Hallam's role at Walkinshaw Performance, running a four-car operation. I don't like let it being let down by people, and as I said just now, the, in, um, in life there are 
Uh, in my experience of motorsport over many years, there's what I call motor racing mercenaries, and I've tried to steer clear of them, and unfortunately, um, yeah, I made a mistake. And uh, so we learn from our mistakes, I hope. And um, so now uh, I'll, um, I'll avoid that in the future, I hope. Uh, if I make the same mistake again, it shows how dumb I am. And that's the news on the V8 Insiders. Uh, it's brought to you by Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. Check out the entire range today at www.nobrac.com.au. After the break, Tony Shebecki and Richard Crowell will join me for the roundtable. News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. You've watched the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Craig Lance. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us this week, it's from SEN's On The Grid, which, of course, is on a hiatus now till the start of the new year. Tony Shebecki, winner of this year's Radio Broadcasting Award at the V8 Media Associations. Congratulations, Tony, on a, a fantastic year. Uh, and cue applause. Thank you, Craig, so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, no, it's been a great year. We had a fantastic year on the grid this year. Spoke to uh, some... I spoke to everyone, I think, uh, on the V8 grid, especially throughout the year, and we uh, broke a nice little story there in regards to Holden wanting to kick, missing out of their winning position from Winton, and that uh, was a really good year, thoroughly enjoyed it, and thoroughly enjoyed the work that I did with our next guest throughout the year as well. Yes, he's a man who uh, is now a two-time V8 Media Award winner. The only other person who can say that is Mark Fogarty, who was on the show last week. Richard Crowell, good evening. Uh, Craig, Shebeck, thank you very much. Uh, I'm in illustrious company if I'm in the same league as Mark Fogarty. Yeah, well, not, uh, not something many people get to say they're in, so I'm very, very pleased to be so. Thanks very much. You'll be a Hall of Fame member next year. Oh, no, 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 no. Too bloody young for that. <laughs> Guys, it has been an interesting year, but it's been an interesting week. We might just have to talk about this week because, uh, uh, of course, Warren Luff gets dumped by Triple Eight and uh, they pick up Stephen Richards. Uh, uh, quite a good coup there, Richard. Yeah, big get for Triple Eight. They don't muck about, do they? Um, I mean, they, they probably went from, we thought, one of the best enduro co-drivers you could possibly have in Luffy to one of the best endurance co-drivers you could probably have in Richo and a proven commodity over the last couple of years with FPR and, and indeed this year, of course, with a, his third Bathurst victory with Frosty and his stints during the middle of the day were critical to keeping the number five car somewhere towards the front of the field so that they could challenge like they did at the end uh, in that brilliant motor race in October. So, yeah, look, great story. Um, gee, Triple uh, Eight just keep finding new ways to do something that catches us off guard but continues to reinforce their competitive position as the best team in the sport good get good get and uh who knows maybe this is the, the tipping point to finally give craig lounge another back victory after so many near 
misses, I guess, in the last couple of years. Tony, it just shows how important uh, Roland Dane thinks Bathurst is, number one, and how important that 300 points that's available at Bathurst is to another championship. Yeah, it certainly does, boys. And can I tell you, I actually know how this one came about. We're doing a fair bit of investigating, even though On The Grid hasn't been on for the last week. Just a little bit of nose digging. It happened on the Gold Coast, in a hotel. They were in the lift together, Roland Lane, uh, Roland Dane and Steve Richards. And Roland Dane just said to Richo, what are you doing next year? And Richo said, well, I've got nothing planned. I'm not on contract. There's no option with FPR. Roland Dane said to him, how much are you getting? He told him. And then uh, Roland Dane said, I'm going to give you this much more. And Steve Richard said, right, we're done. End of story. And it was all... And, if, if, and we know the hatred that's there between Triple Eight and FBR. We know the angst that's between Roland Dane and Mark Winterbottom. And I reckon it's just all part of a plan to just dig the knife in a little bit deeper. Do you feel a bit sorry for Luffy, though? I mean, keep in mind, Luffy helped Craig Lowndes, well, with Craig Lowndes, won the Perchek Endurance Cup. So it well, didn't actually do a bad job this year. It's, it's a... It was a surprise move for me. I, I fully endorse Richo as a co-driver, but um, a surprise move, I thought, to, to Dunn yeah. yeah, a surprise move for sure. But if you have a look at the times, the co-driver times for the Gold Coast, Luffy was in the bottom 10 out of all the co-drivers. And I think when Triple Eight looked at that, they maybe thought, well, hang on, we can't have this. This, is, uh, this could hurt us down the track. So I think that was probably one of the things that really hurt Luffy in the end. Mm. It. It's been an interesting decision. Of course, I don't think anyone was surprised, Tony, when David Wall was announced that he was moving across to DJR with their Wilson security support. He's had uh, such a long-time involvement and relationship with the team, uh, with the sponsor, I should say. Yeah, well, you're right there, Craig. Of course, uh, with David Wall and Scott Pye now, they've got a good young team at DJR. Good young team last year as well. Well, this year, I should say, with Chaz Mostert and Tim Blanchard. And what a win for uh, Chas Mostert and that team just really got a fill up and some momentum out of that for the remainder of the year. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, DJR do cope with those two young boys, uh, new guys basically uh, for the team. Interesting that they've picked up another sponsor as well this week to really uh, make the bank account a bit more healthy and considering the team was on its knees coming into the season, Richard, they've uh, They've really muscled through and just, uh, once again, uh, Dick Johnson's dogged determination has seen him through. Yeah, look, it is. I, I think it's a good get. You know, David Wall, I think, was one of the quiet achievers of the championship this year. Uh, he didn't get any real results to speak of, but he always qualified very, very well and sort of mirrored the pace that Fabian Coulthard and Jason Bright had in those Brad Jones cars. So, you know, David's got three years under his belt now as a full-time driver in V8s and a couple more as a co-driver in the Enduros. He's a good get. He'll be very, very solid. Uh, I think Scott Pye will be given a really good opportunity to showcase what we all know that he's capable of doing and what he showed he was capable of doing in the Dunlop series two years ago. Had a wretched year with Lucas Dumbrell, but that whole team had a pretty rough year. So I think it's a very good get. For Wilson Security, it consolidates all their backing in one team, which makes sense for exposure and branding and all the corporate stuff, the merchandising, everything else that goes with sponsorship in V8 Supercars, so I reckon that's a good get. Good for DJR, a nice stable lineup, some good sponsors. It's been a while since they've had everything locked away this early uh, in the piece for next year, so I think it's good. Um, you know, the sport needs DJR. The sport needs that team and that brand to be strong because, you know, Holden Racing Team, Triple H, DJR, they're the three biggest brand names as far as teams go in our sport, so it was important that they're strong, and 
full kudos to uh, Wilson Security for doing the job because um, they put their money where their mouth is and uh, it's worked wonders for, for Dickie J. And Richard... And more, import- more importantly, boys, Ford need DJR to be successful as well. They can pop as much money as they like into Ford Performance Racing, but to have DJR as a successful satellite team is an absolute bonus for them. Mm. And I guess, Richard, one of the other interesting things is with David Wall moving across to DJR, that opens up a very, very good seat at Brad Jones Racing. And we saw two Brad Jones Racing cars on the podium at the end of last year. So it's uh, it's a seat that there will be people out there who've got money. There will be good drivers out there that would be saying that's not a bad option. Well, yeah, you'd go to BJR in a heartbeat, wouldn't you, after the year they've had. I mean, Bridie and Fabs were competitive for the whole season. They were regular race winners, regular podium finishers. That's a good team. They've got their stuff together. They've, they've adapted to car of the future well. They're, they were one of the biggest winners out of this whole this new car, new generation V8 supercar uh, program that, that got them right to the front of the field. So, yeah, you'd go there in a heartbeat, absolutely. Mm. Um, the question will be is, is finding a way to make it commercially viable and that's what we're, you know, where everyone's questioning at the moment is there's probably four franchises or entitlement contracts that need to be filled. Where do they get filled? Who's going to pay for it? Do they get filled or do they go back to, um, back to V8 supercars and we drop a couple of cars for a year or two? Which, you know, it's probably another topic for another night, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I'd rather have... 24, 25, 26 really good fully funded cars with good drivers rather than have 20 cars running around at the front and then five or six with no budget or pay drivers or whatever it might be. So, But anyway, that's going to be an interesting thing for the Jones family. They've always got a great knack, haven't they, boys, of, of finding budget and finding new sponsors like BOC, like Lockwood. And, uh, yeah, I reckon they'll, uh, they'll find a way to make it happen. Mm. And- I tell you what, boys, they, they came so close to securing the Fujitsu money. At the end yeah. of this year, of course, we know that they were there with Gary Rogers. A few jets have now pulled their money out and basically put it all into the Essendon Football Club. But it was right on the door knock that they made the decision not to go along with uh, with Gary Rogers. And the sniff was out there, and Brad Jones got it, but it was too late to do a deal. She was they could have done with that few jets in money. It could have really meant a lot to that Albury-based team. Mm, yeah, and uh, gee, the. Uh the risk you take putting money into Essendon Football Club after the year they've had is uh, is quite an interesting one, and it's quite a uh, an interesting position that uh, Fujitsu would take. But perhaps with the uh, perhaps with the Essendon Football Club scandals, they've uh, come in at a bit better price than you normally get to get onto a football uh, onto a football team. I can tell you, boys, it's a massive shot in the arm for the Essendon Football Club to have the uh, Fujitsu money. Mm. Yeah, it's a huge get, isn't it? Um, shows the power of the AFL, doesn't it? And the kind of marketing and sponsorship potential they've got. Oh, hang on, let me say that again. It's a massive shot in the arm for the Essendon <laughs> Football Club to yeah. have the Fujitsu oh, money. Yeah. Sorry. Look, I the didn't Adelaide that, guy didn't uh, want to work on the pun. He's a bit too politically correct. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. So you'd think after a year of working together, buddy, I'd pick that kind of stuff up. That gold, absolute award-winning gold. But, uh, Thank you, man. You got to the gong this year. Yeah. yeah. Guys, we need to talk about a few more seats that could change hands, but let's take a break here on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing 
V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best riders and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Hi, I am Alexandre Prema from the Fujitsu GRM team and you are listening to the V8 Insider. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Tony Shebecki with his award-winning gold comedy routine, which, uh, of course, doesn't get the notoriety that it should, particularly no. on the bench. And I'm also... Going on the road. I'm going on the road with that bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> and also Richard Crail, Crayley. Uh, Tony D'Alberto is certainly a person I could see as a candidate up there at Albury. Well, it's an interesting saga, and for those that haven't seen it, we should talk through what happened in the last seven days about there. Tony D'Alberto put a Facebook post out saying, that's it, we're done, Tony D'Alberto Racing's no more. And then Tony D'Alberto Racing put a Facebook post up saying, well, hang on a minute, TD was misquoted or whatever, didn't say the right thing, we're not going anywhere, so we'll be back in some form. So, How should you be that? misquoted on your own Facebook page? <laughs> well, this is a good question. So one, one wonders if there's been some miscommunication between Al and Tony, father and son. No, no, but the logic would dictate that that would be the perfect place for TV to end up, wouldn't it? But, um, I mean, you just don't know. Who's to say it won't end up at Erebus if that's their car? Because Ryan Madison's been popping up in the last week or so going, well, we're going to scale back to two, but if the opportunity presents, we'd still run three cars because we've got the resources. So... You know, who's to say that that won't happen? It's one of the very interesting questions of the off-season. Who would have thought Tony Delberto would become such a player in the off-season? He's, uh, he's a bit of a hearing point at the moment for the whole thing. <laughs> i tell you what, Tony, on the news this week, we have Dave Stewart from Erebus Motorsport saying, we're running two cars. And, uh, yep. uh, and uh, so it wouldn't surprise me if they go to three, but there is advantages, as Dave said in the news, uh, about having two cars on the racetrack and then they'd have effectively two spares, spare chassis, and then a couple of spare engines and a lot of spare parts for the inevitable melees that happen throughout the year. Well, I think we all know fiscally it's either two or four. Yeah. If you're going to run two, if you're going to run three, you've got to run four. It just makes so much more sense. If they're not going to run four, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Erebus is going to be stuck with two. I think two is better for them. I think it gives them more opportunity to focus on two cars, obviously with three, that extra third car could be spent on getting the other two just a little bit better. Uh, the great, we're talking about BJR and, and Tony Delberto, with every right have uh, have those two got every reason to join up. Tony Delberto was damn good in the second half of the year. A couple of yeah. top ten finishes, some really great qualifying speed from Tony Delberto, including some top ten shootouts. I mean, gee whiz, you put Tony Delberto, you put Fabian Coulter, you put Jason Bright in the same team, and we all know that every team that Jason Bright has gone to has got faster, mm. the, more, the more time that Bright he spends with them. Uh, mm. So good is he with these cars. It, that could be a real team to be you know, noticed next year, no doubt. Mm. And, of course, uh, with HRT going up to four cars this year, and uh, we're expecting any day now announcement on who the sponsor of Nick Perkat's car will be, but, uh, Richard, it, ha it does mean they can buy in a complete lot of spares if they buy the Tony Delberto Racing kit because it's a Walkinshaw car, it's Walkinshaw spares. Um, obviously, 
it doesn't have the ponies under the hood that the Walkinshaw engines do have, but that's only because uh, they've got the resources there to be able to put the faster, the go-fast pits into the engines anyway. Yeah, look, I mean, it, it makes sense, doesn't it? But, I mean, we can only speculate on what... Uh, the, the bottom line is, uh, as much as people might want that to happen or as much as Alberto's might want it to happen or CJR, the only way it's going to happen is if it's commercially viable. And the single biggest problem we've got at the moment is that for a lot of people, it's not. And the budget isn't there to run these cars. So that's why there's been this... And I think some of it's been a little bit of um, sort of scaredy talk, people going, oh, gee, this economy, it's a worry. There's no money, there's no sponsorship. I think some of it's been a bit of fear-mongering, but um, there is a, a legitimate lack of money going around, and we all know the problems that the sport has had um, since the sellout to Arch Capital and everything with the return that the sport gives back to the team. It's been, well, non-existent for the last year or two. So... The, the bottom line is, this is all wonderful and hypothetical talk, but unless they find a way to fund it, it's not going to happen. I'll go back to what I said before, though, in that BJR have been so very good at bringing sponsors into the sport that no-one really expects or new brands, new names. They brought Oryx back into the sport a long time ago. BRC's been involved with them for years and Lockwood or Asa Abloy this year. So, you know, good stuff. Um, if they can do it, well, if anyone can do it, it's probably them. So we just have to play the waiting game and see what happens. Tony? Uh, can, I drop, can I drop the second bombshell of the night? Oh. Please do. Oh. Of course, the first yeah. one was the meeting between Roland Day and Stephen Richards. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're, heard missing your, you heard uh, you're missing your weekly show, aren't you? I am. I've got an opinion out of How many Fords do we have this year? Boys, six? Six is we correct. Guess. That could be seven next year. Could possibly even be nine. Have you been holding Next out year. on us during that whole conversation, Chebex? Well, no, I've just been listening to what you've got to say, and then I just wanted to trumpet. <laughs> Let me well, tell well. you that FPR could be on the verge of putting in a fifth car into their stable. Which economies of scale, as we mentioned, isn't good because you're sharing no. a boom, you've got a transporter with only one car in it. However, Correct. they did announce that they are going to be running in the Dunlop series, which fills the transporter for that second place. Correct. Now, that fifth car could be... Uh, well, we could see Steve Owen uh, made a full-time FPR driver within a matter of days. Let me also throw that at you after Paul Morris has been seen down at the uh, the Campbellfield headquarters of uh, Ford Performance Racing. Let me there's also known, throw to you... Yeah. No, go on, go on. What were you going to say? Oh, well, I was going to say there's, there's known to be commercial backing involved in, in that side, the Morris side, Correct. through Andrew Jacks and Scotty Jennings and all his commercial contacts. So... Very interesting. Go on, go on. Correct. Now, the other part to it is is that there will, there is, as we know, four licenses have been handed back to uh, V8 Supercars. We know at the moment they're looking at a grid of maybe 24, possibly 25 for next year. The uh, the Penske deal may have mm. just been about sponsorship. There may be two licenses handed to Penske to run a two-team car next year uh, at mates rates, one would have thought. Uh, so... Not all done and dusted yet. Mm, the Penske Just one. Mark down this date, mark down this time is where you heard it. And then the person that said it as well. Yeah. That's right. Oh, no, I don't want that much credit. <laughs> but the, the, the Penske deal is certainly bubbling along quite nicely. There is some uh, contractual arrangements that have to be worked through, though, because anyone who hands back a license, V8 supercars have a choice of buying the license from the owner or selling or on selling it and taking a, a certain fee for the sale. Now, obviously, they can't 
give two well they can give two licenses away but they would have to be licenses that they've already taken because they couldn't give away licenses that by rights they're supposed to sell well how much what, what are we talking about a one dollar deal is that a sale uh, well, yeah. well uh, you'd have to look at the entire contractual arrangements, but normally there is a baseline price for V8 supercars to buy a licence back. There would be, but you've got to remember, though, that licences are probably worth much less now than they were three years ago. Well, actually, no, because when I've spoken... The investment is a lot smaller. No, when I've been speaking to people like Charlie Swerkholt and, and people like that over the course of the year, uh, they have all said that licence prices have gone up. Yeah, but Craig, it's in their interest to say that. My goodness, yeah, they own the licences. Of course, yeah, they want as much as they can. Yeah, I mean, let's, be real, let's be realistic about it. Yeah, that, I, I understand that. But when I've been speaking to people wanting to buy in as well, they're saying the licence prices are still being asked for at the pre-sale dollars. So obviously that's, that's a negotiating room. They, they, want, them, they want them at Dunlop series prices, let me tell you, when they're buying. Are we, Tony, since, you, since you're the one that's breaking all the stories here at the moment, are you expecting the non-Australasian drivers to be in the series next year? I'm talking about Maro Inkle and Alex Prema. Uh, no, no, I'm not. I, I think Alex Prema's already... Uh, I, I think that one's down the track that is gone and done and dusted. I would have thought that. And uh, Maro Inkle, if there's only two cars, well, that's Lee Holdsworth and uh, Will Davison. So I don't know what Maro's going to be driving, uh, but oh, I think going to be a V8 supercar. I'd put money that, um, and he is contractually bound to Erebus, so I would put money on him ending up in an Erebus GT, GT car. They're, yep, they're without a doubt. Yep. Yeah, they've been making moves about doing more V8, uh, more Aussie GT stuff now that Aussie GT is going to be on more V8 supercar rounds this year, so wouldn't surprise me, now Now we know all the tracks, <laughs> wouldn't surprise me if you see Maro in, in a GT car. Sure. More more stuff like Macau, and they want to go to, go to Asia and Japan, so... Wouldn't surprise me. He'd be the perfect person to leave that because he's mega in an SLS. Now, Richard, remember that he does hold the lap record for Macau, so he knows how to drive them. Mm. Now, Richard, how much have we been loving the Roland Dane Adrian Burgess love fest that's been going on for the last couple of weeks? Uh, oh, look, it, it's um, it's fun, isn't it? I, I, I like the fact that the sport has evolved in the last, probably only the last sort of seven or eight years, I guess, where. It's sort of a bit, a bit, uh, a bit tabloidy, and sort of the news limited type certainly helps that. But I love the photo of um, of Adrian Burgess in the Telegraph washing his car during the Phillip Island round while everything was going on down there. Yeah, that was, yeah on gardening leaves. Yeah, that, I thought that was brilliant, and I thought that that's very football esque. You know, you see that when the coach is on leave yeah. before he goes to another club or whatever. So I, I quite like it. I, I think it's good. It brings out the personalities, and I don't have an issue with. As long as the media don't beat up on it and write silly things, I don't have a problem with um, that kind of stuff being talked about because I think, it, in the most part, it's pretty good fun. It's another avenue, and it builds more personalities. And Roland Dane's got a massive personality. We know that. Adrian Burgess isn't afraid to say what he feels. Um, and it, it's another storyline for the sport, and, and the sport needs more storylines. So now, I think it's fantastic fun. Craig, Craig, you were involved in that back of media room yes. conversation with Roland Dane at the end of uh, Sydney. Uh, did you get surprised when he called Adrian Burgess a motor racing mercenary? I mean, isn't he the guy that has poached numerous people from different teams? I do believe he may have coached, poached, sorry, Craig Lowndes from Ford. 
performance racing. I do believe that he may have poached Adrian Burgess from Tick Johnson Racing. Uh, yeah, well, he did a good uh, number on uh, Stevie Richards as well. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. So, I mean, fair dinkum, Roland. Come on. It was a it was a great doorstop that Roland gave. As people heard in the news, they heard the uh, comments that Roland made about Adrian there, and we've got some more comments coming up over the next couple of weeks from that uh, from that doorstop. But uh, as Stefan Bartholomew said. I try not to anticipate anything when I'm dealing with you, Roland. And I think that's what we all think, isn't it? Very funny. Yeah. That's great. Guys, well, we're a long way from where we thought we'd be on this conversation, but uh, time has gotten away from us. Tony, fantastic speaking to you once again. Look forward to seeing you at the Test Day in Sydney. Can you believe the Test Day in Sydney is only 57 days away from the official airtime of this show? No, 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 no. We need to uh, survive Christmas and New Year first. But uh, look, it, it's been a ripper season, hasn't it? So many great stories, so many you know, controversy drama. But the overriding thing for me on a closing note for this season, aside from the brilliance of being able to work with Tony Shebeki week in, week out, was how good the racing was. Proper, yeah, was. hard, elbows out, classic touring car racing, which we've missed for the last couple of years. I thought it was a ripper season. 28 cars on a grid, 17 different winners stood on top of the podium. You show me another category in the world that has that, and I'll show you the back. I'll show you my backside. And I'll tell you what, we might not see it next year. We might see the racing is good, but we might not see the 28 cars. (laughs) Have a great Christmas, boys. Thank you very much. Tony Shavecki and Richard Crowell joining us here on the V8 Insiders. Good on you, mate. The white flag lap out the first of our two-part special with Tim Slade is up next. To ask a question of the V8 Insiders, just email them at v8insiders at sportradio.com.au. Stay tuned for more. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Jonathan Webb from Techno Autosports, and you're listening to V8 Insiders. On this week's White Flag Lab, brought to you by Munro Shock Absorbers, we start a first in a two-part series with Tim Slade. We kick off by talking to him about his early roots in motorsport. Tim Slade, it's a, a, a long way away from starting racing in Adelaide to now being in the cut and thrust of V8 supercars. What got you interested in motor racing? and What were those first steps in your career? Um, actually, uh, Dad got me a little PB50 motorbike when I was oh, probably about four, I think. Um, did a uh, you know mucked around on that in the in the backyard and um, did a couple of races. And um, I guess you know Dad was always involved in motor racing in some way, shape, or form. Did a little bit of racing in New South Wales, um, just in Formula V, and I think Group uh, I don't know E or C touring cars or whatever it was back in the day in a uh, Mitsubishi Cordia and and a Commodore and um, yeah so I guess you know when you grow up around that and you know it's always on the on the television at, at home and your dad's taking you to races I guess you develop a an interest for 
for the racing, um, and then I uh, received uh, a go kart for my ninth birthday after a um, a come and try day at uh, at Bolivar in, in South Australia where I where I grew up, um, and then yeah, just sort of went from there really. Um, you know, Dad and I travelled the countryside basically for the next eight years racing go karts, um, and then uh, once we finished go-kart racing we actually wanted to try and get into into formula ford um was that like 2002 i think it was and we bought an old van diemen 92 formula ford and yeah i mean we just couldn't get get the funds together to do that so i did sort of a a few go-kart races um back in 2002 and then 2003 i did um seven of the eight former Ford national rounds in the old 92 um basically just dad and I sort of traveling around and and uh, and doing that and then 2004 um basically we didn't really have much money to do anything we just did um a couple of former Ford races and a former three race at the end of the year in 2005 um yeah really sort of no money again and um we did a couple of former three races start of the year and then nothing was happening and you know sort of felt as though um needed to try and make something happen and being in Adelaide probably wasn't really the the right place to be as far as uh, the motor racing industry goes so um I'd met Michael Ritter from Sonic um back at the end of 2003 and basically just gave him a call and just to see if he had any uh, any work basically in, in his team, um, which he did. So I moved to Melbourne um, in, it was this or sort of May 2005, and then started working for Mick at Sonic, working on the on the former Fords and the Porsches. Um, and that was, that was really, really good. Um, you know, I've learned a hell of a lot of what I know now um, from my time at Sonic and, and learning from Mick and, and the other guys there. Um, I guess not only, you know, from a driving point of view, because I went on to drive for Mick the following year in Formula Ford, but, uh, you know, just from, you know, learning the, the preparation of a um, of a race car and um, and just everything else that goes along with it. So then, yeah, like I said, I went on to race Formula Ford for Mick in 2006. Um, and then 2007, I guess, it, it, like, I would have loved to, I guess, post Formula Ford, love to have... I guess chase the sort of European open wheeler path, but you know we we struggled to to put the money together here in Australia. So you know you got to look at it realistically, and there was really sort of no hope of of putting anything together overseas and chasing that path. And I had an opportunity here to I guess um, get into the development series um, with a sponsor that I had at the time, Dexian. Um, so uh, yeah, we we raced development series the following year. Didn't do the full year and did it with a couple of different teams. Um, and then yeah, again money was a was a big stumbling block, and you know we didn't have the backing to do it with with uh, any of the major development series teams at the time. So um, uh, I guess that's where I sort of properly forged a relationship. Or our relationship began between myself and and James Rosenberg and um, where, did, where did you two meet um 
we first met James actually owned the former three car that I raced in did a, did a few races in back in um, like 04, 05 um, but I guess just knowing like the whole South Australian connection knowing that James was South Australian and you know uh, passionate and uh, and a, well yeah basically you know passionate and, and loved his motor racing and he'd been involved in, in V8 supercars in the past with um, uh, Mark Poole back in I think the mid 90s so I think we actually sent James a, a sponsorship proposal back when we were sort of getting out of carts and just to see you know if we could sort of make something happen there and um, yeah then we had the the, the former three connection and then I think James got talking to dad one year at Clipsal that was my, in my first development series year and James indicated that he'd like to get back into into V8 supercars and sort of got talking to James from there and talking him into um, to buying a, uh, a car from from Perkins uh, and a VZ. I'm not exactly sure what year it was I'm just trying to think in my mind it's probably about um, eight years ago I remember being at um, the racetrack at Malala. I was involved in that era with Formula 3 with other drivers. I think I was running Ben Klukas or someone like that then with BRM. And I noticed young Slade, he was only a young kid, he must have been only oh, 19, 18, and, and uh, he had a one-off drive with BRM. And um, yes, he'd done a pretty fantastic job. I can still remember his lap times at Malala, which were very, very strong for a young kid against experienced drivers. So I really, um, from that day on, I just took a little bit of a note at uh, where we was going and things like that. So yeah, it went back a fair way and uh, obviously I knew the kid had talent. I sort of decided that uh, we didn't have the money to, to go and do it with a proper team. So I thought uh, if you had the right equipment and, and, the, and the right sort of people helping you out that you could you could probably make it work half a right. So that's when I started my own team, Slade Speed, in uh, in 2008, and uh, started that year working out of um, Marty Brandt's workshop. And then um, actually, I think one of the rounds early in the year, a car drove into the side of me, and I needed to get a new um, basically side put in the car down at uh, down at Larry's. So took it down there and I sort of cut it all out and then Larry's guys welded a new one in and the car stayed there um, from that point and Jack was running that year in development series as well so he and I had our cars side by side in, in the workshop and um, we did a lot of work, well, I did all the work on my car that year um, you know in between the race meetings and just employed a few different people every round to, to help out but um, yeah I guess without I don't think I would have been able to do what I did that year without A, learning what I did at Sonic and B, without you know the help of a lot of people, James included, Dad, um, a few sponsors along the way, but also Larry helped me out a, a hell of a lot that year. Um, basically, um, you know, I guess there was a few builds there, gearbox rebuilds and, and a few other rebuilds and bits and pieces where you know he just let me sort of work it off in the workshop so yeah I mean I'm, I'm very fortunate for that because you know if we I guess if we had to pay sort of full whack for everything um, that year you know would have been a, uh, a lot more of a struggle. Slade Speed wins the Independence Cup one story I've heard is you basically went up to collect that Independence Cup with no idea what you were doing the next year 
and not even sure if you were going to be able to do the development series again. Yeah, yeah, I think I was uh, I was aiming to do the development series again um, and try and try and put the money together to do it properly. And um, I guess got talking to to Paul Morris. Basically, I think at the gala award night, um, and then we're sort of thinking, well, the money that I had to put together to do the development series, you could pretty much get it in in um, in with a, a main game team. So, yeah, I guess it sort of all just rolled from there. My understanding of that night was Steve Owen was almost certainly going to be driving that car. And the, when you accepted your Independence Cup and then the subsequent conversations, he decided that you were better for the team and for what he wanted to do than having Steve. And you basically bumped the guy out of his drive. Do you think that's an accurate reflection of what happened? Uh, to be honest, I wouldn't have a clue. Um, I think it was just down to obviously someone that they wanted and, and someone that could, um, I guess, help out in the the financial side as well um, you know James came to the came to the party again he actually bought the car that I drove in in, in 2009 and then I also had um, another sponsor come on board yeah that year that uh, didn't actually fulfill their their full commitment which was which was uh, disappointing but um, yeah it sort of got me the got me the start uh, yeah, it was Dave. He got up there and spoke. Look, I've always known Tim, and, and uh, yeah, he's probably one of the two, two or three drivers out there that can actually put his own car together and pull it apart again. So, um, yeah, the, the guys from Super Cheap Auto said, "Can we get that guy?" I said, "Yeah, we can get him." And that's how it, that's how it started. But then, obviously, when they went to wanted to go to one car and concentrate on Russell, we had the deal there with with Castrol, and uh, yeah, we were we were pushing for Tim, but. The, the, his star wasn't bright enough for him then. <laughs> what about those years with Paul? What were the big things you were ticking off as you were learning the main game? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a huge learning process, especially me coming from, you know, running my own show to um, to into a you know a major level one team. You know, it's not as if I ran development series with a level one team for two or three years and then just, you know, you take a, the next little step forward. It was a, it was a huge step for me. Um, yeah, I mean, just, just everything really, you know, basically we all know that it's a super competitive category and, you know, there's 28 guys out there that are, that are top of their game and, um, you know, I was far from top of my game back then. I think the... I guess especially the latest guys to come into the championship from the development series are, you know, they're, I think they're a lot more, well, obviously a lot more developed than um, than what I was at, at that point with me coming into the championship. Um, and I guess, you know, you can sort of put that down to the fact that they just had, they were in a better environment and had better resources available to them in their learning years throughout the development series. Um, yeah, I'm not taking anything away from them because I would have loved to have had that opportunity as well. And that's a, that's the ideal way to, to get into it. Um, but yeah, I mean, everything, just everything on track. And then I guess as a young guy, all you want to do is concentrate on 
everything on track, but um, you know you've you've got commitments outside of the car to ful fulfil as well, which is the hard thing to to get through your head because all you want to do is is you know concentrate on the driving. Yet you got to go up and do you know corporate appearances at the racetrack and and um, you know you think that's taking away from from your driving and, and your learning process, but um, you know it's just something that you have to. Um, learn to deal with because that's that's a major part of, of what we do. Part two of that interview will come up next week on the show. Until then, as the checker flag waves over another edition of the V8 Insiders, till next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.